Was that supposed to be our jingle? I didn't, I didn't recognize that at all. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Boarding Pass 146, operating on September 12, 2022. This is Doug, an airline pilot, and I'm here with my buddy Drew, an airline ops manager and pilot, private pilot trainee. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. We have to apologize in advance for this week's episode. My computer is in the repair shop, so I'm both recording and editing on my phone. You get to hear how bad we'd be if not for the magic of editing. I honestly don't think it's going to be that bad. So I'm going to counter your last point, Doug, with a real-world aviation example. We have not missed a single episode since we started, which is like two and a half years now, right? And listeners expect that when they go on Monday morning or Monday late night in the U.S. that we would have downloaded so we're kind of like a flight that is that is leaving the gate on time, though it was only catered with one bottle of water and a bag of potato chips. Yes, the customers are disappointed in the reduced service, but it's better than the flight departing two to three days later or getting canceled altogether, right, Doug? <laughs> That's a great point. But yes, we do apologize in advance for my technical limitations this week. In fact, this episode might not really be edited at all. We can call it Doug and Drew Unplugged. In fact, you might hear us drinking coffee or coughing. I, right. I don't know what the edit is. Maybe I'll be able to edit on my phone. I don't know. We'll see how it is. But thanks for tuning in. It's going to be the same content, maybe not the same quality. And we, we appreciate your willingness and, and understanding for the listeners. Drew, how was your week? You had AM shifts all week. And did you get up in the air at all in your Cessna? No, it was a bad week in terms of shifts. So one of my coworkers was on vacation and he's on the morning shift. So I was covering the AM shift, which means a 345 wake up. To get ready, I, I need half an hour just to chill. I don't know how you guys are on that are listening. I can't just get up and jump in the shower. I need some time to just get my bearings. So 3.45, get ready, drive to work for a 6 a.m. start. And I was doing that the whole week. And I was thinking, I was trying to make the best of it, Doug, saying, hey, I'll be home for dinner every day. But by the third day, I was home for dinner as a zombie. I mean, I was barely, you know, barely awake. So it was horrible. So... Back to my usual schedule, which is 2 a.m.s and 3 p.m.s, which is which is perfect. That's 2 a.m. shifts, not 2 a.m. and 3 p.m. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was having to think about that. I was like, wait a minute, 2 a.m.s and 3 p.m.s. Oh, okay, he means two morning shifts and 3 p.m. shifts. Yeah, and then you were asking about my flight training. So um, last week I didn't go because my mom was here, so he canceled it. And this week, I was supposed to go yesterday, but it's IFR yesterday, which means the clouds are below 1,000 feet. So I just spent the time doing uh, ground school work. And um, part of it, uh, my instructor wanted me to take some uh, thing that I have to take specifically for the DC area. And it's to fly in this area. It's called the DC SFRA training, which is Washington, DC Special Flight SFRA, Special Flight Rules Area. Mm. We're close to the Capitol, and it's a 30-mile radius. And then inside that, just over the district, is an area called FRZ, which is a flight restricted zone. And you, you, can, you can't get in there unless you have a waiver. Or if you, Doug, are flying a Part 121, 737 into DCA, you can get in. Mm-hmm. But here's my question. Do you have to take that training? You fly through there all the time. I do, but because we are, I or because we're on an instrument, 
uh, flight plan and ETC is, is vectoring us all the way to the ground, then no, we, we don't have to. But we talked about on that episode when I flew into DCA, how all the planes that come in from the north that come down the river and go by the capital, you can't go feet dry. You, you have to stay over the water. You mm-hmm. cannot touch ground or fly over the land portion of the District of Columbia. And that's all because of these restrictions oh, and everything. Right. And and so I'm, I'm wondering if because you are having to take this because you're flying VFR, visual flight roles, you're not on an instrument um, flight plan. You haven't filed an instrument flight plan, meaning that ATC is vectoring you. And it's meant, it's meant to keep you safe. It's also meant to preclude any sort of F-16s or F-22s from having to scramble and tell you to, to bug off. Yeah, so that's that's when I know I've uh, I've crossed the line, right? I sent you a, a a picture of one of the slides in the FAA training, and you know one of them is if you have an emergency, you know, boom, 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 and the last step is interception, and it shows a little Cessna with an F sixteen behind it. So that's when you know, okay, I'm somewhere I'm not supposed to be. But um, yeah, yeah so that's going on. I do have a flight today at four p.m. and the weather is nice, so that's going to happen. So I'm excited about that. But um, let's hear about your second, you just, you're on a second trip. You, you took a second trip to EFRO, as we lovingly call it. Was it? Yeah. Now, I, I told you to save it, but was it kind of humdrum and now it's like a usual thing going going to Heathrow? No, it was it was actually fun because I was in the flying position. When I went the first time, I was the bunkie at the IRO, so I didn't actually get to do the landing in Heathrow. And I got to land at Heathrow this time, and, and that was that was fun. I We're, we're going to talk about it in our... What's that? Have you landed there before in a KC-10? No, I've, I've landed in England, but not at Heathrow. That, that was my first time landing the airplane at Heathrow. And we'll talk about it in our main topic about why Heathrow is more difficult than a lot of other airports in the world, just from a, a standpoint of flying in there. I was glad that I was the IRO position my first time going to Heathrow because I got to see some of the craziness going into Heathrow. That then when I was in the flying position this week, I, I knew what to expect. It was also a different flight. The The one that I did last week was the early flight. This was the later flight. So it meant getting in at a, a different time, shifting sleep patterns a little bit differently, being up a little a little bit later in the evening, seeing different things. So it was it was fun. And I I love London. You can never spend enough time in London. We, we went to different places that I went to the previous trip, and that was all really great. But true, the northern lights going over there. I, I know I talked about my Frankfurt, my Frankfurt flights a, a month or so ago. This was incredible. The they, I mean, they were covering us. It was everywhere yeah. uh, from horizon to horizon, east to west, north to south, and it continued the entire night. And they were just dancing all over the place. It, it was gorgeous. And it was so cool. Yeah, when you send me that, it's like, is this like touched up in a way? Or did you like? No, I did not edit those at all. That, that was all what, what we were seeing. And we told the flight attendants about it. So they cycled through the flight deck. There were about four or five of them who were mm-hmm. who came up one, one at a time just to watch. And they were all saying how incredible it was and that it was wow. one of the coolest things they've seen. Now, you, the captain, I'm sure, is very senior. So has he or she seen this often, or is this unique? To them? <laughs> that's, a, that's a sore subject. They started <laughs> They started right after the captain went on his break, and by the time he, he came back up, uh, it was light, and oh. we didn't see them anymore. <laughs> so the other, 
the other FO and I were telling him about how amazing <laughs> he was in the back sleeping this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have a question about your approach. Now, you were flying the later trip into Heathrow when it's not as crazy busy, but you had to, you had some holding. Was that unusual? But let's save that for our main topic. Okay. That, okay. that, that goes that goes into with what, what our main topic is today. Okay. And you were on a heavy, which in the U.S. you're supposed to say heavy 948 blah, blah, blah. So did you keep saying that and the controllers had to tell you to cut it out because it's London Heathrow? Mm. You're not supposed no, to say we, it. we didn't <laughs> say it at all. It's, it's funny because we flew from the U.S. through Canadian airspace, through Scottish airspace into England, and then the same thing on the way back. In the U.S., you don't use the heavy call sign when you're talking to center, when, when we're talking to Oakland center, Seattle center, et cetera. We, we don't use the heavy call sign. Once we hit the Canadian border, every initial check-in with a new sector you say heavy, but then you don't have to use it until you talk to the next sector. Then once you check in with Scottish, you don't say heavy at all. But mm -hmm. like the next time that you say heavy is when you check in with Canada on the way home a day and a half later. And and this is all stuff we talked about how you have to study ahead of time. Are you going to get in trouble if you say heavy? No, yeah. not at all. Are you going to get in trouble if you forget? No, but you, you want to you want to make it seem like you know what you're doing when you're talking to these controllers. And so you have to plan ahead and, and figure out what each of these countries requirements is. Yeah. To catch people up, um, you have, if you're a wide body airplane, you say heavy before your flight number in most parts of the world, but in after, after your, after your flight number, that's right. 948 heavy or whatever flight you are. Yeah. But in, in Heathrow, you're being gui your guidance is to not say it because just about everything is a heavy coming into Heathrow, right? I would say the majority, the majority of planes are wide bodies. Yeah, de right. definitely a majority. Yeah. All right. So um, our little group of friends, uh, Tyler was trying to figure out which flight you were on coming back and he pulled up our airline and the flights and he said, are you on this flight? And you said yes. And then he goes, oh, you guys have three flights. And you're like, no, we just have two. And then I'm looking I'm like, we do have three flights. What's you know, How could you not know? Right. And then we're both. And then then Doug, for the listeners, Doug is like, oh, that's a light twin. So is our third flight on a Piper Comanche or a, a <laughs> or a King Air 350? What is our third flight on, though? I, I forgot about the third flight because I all I see is the 777 schedules and bid packages. And I forgot that we have we operate a flight on a 787, one of our daily frequencies to London from San Francisco on a 787. And we, the 777 pilots, we jokingly refer to the 787 is the light twin it's <laughs> twin as in twin isle not twin. not twin is in beach baron but we, we we'll see it taxing by we're like oh look there there goes the the light twin because from a gross weight standpoint it's it's a lot lighter than the triple seven even the the seven eight dash ten okay so when you're a marissa non-roving back to san francisco don't check your pilot schedules for the availability of flights because you're going to tell her yeah, there's nothing else. Meanwhile, there's a light twin that you could have gotten on. <laughs> um, all right, I want to hear about you uh, watching Top Gun on the flight. But speaking of military, we have a uh, a retired 787 captain, Katie, who works in the office. And she came from the military. And I told her which airplane you flew. It said you flew the KC-10. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, those were... Do you know what nickname they have for you? No, I, I'm curious. Maybe I've heard it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. You guys were termed the Gucci boys. Oh, yeah, Gucci. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, Why? One of the, one of the, what? 
one of the squadrons that I was in was the it was called the Gucci squadron, and our, our patch had had the word Gucci on it, and it's Gucci all all over. Yeah, that that term stems back from when we first got the KC tens because you think Air Force airplanes and it's gruff and not nice on the inside and it's very bare. And then here comes the, in the, in the 80s, here comes this DC-10 with passenger seats and a galley and a lab and two labs on some of them. And it's just a great airplane. And everyone said, yeah, that's, that's the Gucci lifestyle. <laughs> not, not slumming it like, like all the other Air Force and, and other military pilots. Yeah, yeah. We don't take, we don't take offense to that. We, we love yeah, it. No. Like, we we embrace that. So the Gucci boys. So the KC ten is kind of worn now because it's been so many years. So it's probably moved to the the TJ Maxx boys or the <laughs> Marshalls Ross dress whatever. So the KC forty six, yeah, the KC forty six, which is the seven sixty seven, the new one. Um, that would be like right, we can call them the Dolce Gabbana boys, or I mean, we create well, the the Gucci squadron will in, in the next few years turn into a KC 46 squadron. Uh, it'll, it'll continue to be the Gucci squadron. Okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> All right. So you were watching Top Gun on the flight. What a great environment to watch Top Gun. It's almost like a virtual reality because you're flying. I, I texted some friends and I said life goal or life achievement unlocked getting to watch the new Top Gun on an airplane that I'm flying. <laughs> it was just it, it, Drew, it was one of those things like growing up watching the original Top Gun, knowing that I wanted to be a pilot my entire career. And yeah, I, I could have, I guess, watched the original Top Gun on a flight before if it was on IFE or, or something. But it was just the new Top Gun just got introduced on the in-flight entertainment within the last couple of days. It's it's been within the last week. And oh, to be good. able to be able to on my break go in the back and sit down and watch the new Top Gun. It, it was kind of surreal. Just having grown up watching the original, wanting to be a pilot. Now I am a pilot flying this airplane and on my break, I'm watching the new Top Gun. It, it just, it was a really cool feeling and experience. It's come, it's come full circle. It has. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a full circle story. I'll save that for the end. But, um, all right. You're in LAX. You I got you got a trip. You got assigned this yesterday. Um, you deadheaded, which means you flew as a passenger from San Francisco to L.A. You're in L.A., so you're going to be flying a, um, a red-eye flight tonight. Are you taking another rest before you get on the flight? I know you're going to go spotting at uh, near the In-N-Out Burger, but mm -hmm. uh, are, you, are you planning another quick nap before you, before you fly? Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out. I, I could sleep now for several hours and I'd be okay for the flight tonight or I could sleep a little bit later this evening and I'd be a little bit better for the flight and I was basing it on what airplanes are inbound to here. So so I'm thinking I and looking at the weather too, it's it's warm in California this weekend. I'm thinking that just based on the inbounds, based on what would be better for my sleep, as soon as we're done recording, I've got my camera. I, I rarely bring my big camera on the trip. I actually left my nice headset at home. And I'm going to use the headsets that are provided to us on the airplane just so that I can get my big camera in my, in my bag. So as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to head over there for a few hours, watch the plane land, and then come back and get my sleep for the red eye tonight. Yeah, that's great. Are you staying? Can you walk there? Yeah, yeah. I'm staying at one of the airport hotels. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, Drew, we've talked a few times over the last month about how the U.S. government is trying to do more to protect the consumer when it comes to air travel. A newly launched DOT Aviation Consumer Protection website spells it out for passengers. Drew, you looked into this. 
Rule 240 FIM? Is that some ancient airline language? Where did what did you find? <laughs> it's Rule 240 and FIM, and it does stand for something, which we'll get to. But we're going to talk about what what the airline's requirements are when your flight is canceled or your flight's delayed and you have to get on another airline. Are they required to put you on another airline? I've always worked for a carrier that was an IATA carrier where you have ticketing agreements. So I work for Reno Air, I work for America West. This is where, you know, the couple airlines were, were customer service. And if someone's flight was canceled, you, you wanted to keep them on America West, but you could put them on another airline. And how we did that, there were two things. So there was something that was called a um, Rule 240, which in the research for this, I found that went away in 1978. So I was working customer service in the mid-90s. We were still using Rule 240. What you would do is you'd take their paper, paper ticket and you would write somewhere on there Rule 240 and send them over to Delta or to American. And you'd call that airline first to make sure that they would accept it. But they would just take it and somehow through the magic of IATA or some clearinghouse, I guess Delta got paid. Who knows? I yeah. mean, it just went into the ether. And, <laughs> but, you know, airlines used to do that all the time. And all this stuff would go into some clearinghouse. And then you'd have all the accounts for the airlines and who owes what. And then they'd settle. And don't ask me how that works. If someone's listening that is in charge of that, that's fascinating. Um, we also had something called a FIM which is a flight interruption manifest. So if we had 30 people to move from America West to Delta, we'd use this form called a FIM. It's so archaic, Doug. So it, you would fill in, it's a little spreadsheet form. You'd fill in all the names, all the ticket numbers. Again, you would call American or Delta or whatever, see, hey, can you take them? And then you'd send them that information. You would keep the ticket and they would have this form saying that you are surrendering, surrendering that ticket to that airline. It was um, a mess. Now, it was only IATA. So when I worked at Reno Air in San Jose, Southwest was next to us. So we couldn't move people to Southwest because we didn't have a ticketing agreement with them. So we literally have to write them a check. <laughs> so if we were putting 10 people on Southwest. We'd come over and write them a check for what their tickets were. And then, you know, they would just get a refund with us. So it was really complicated. But now everything's electronic and everything moves over electronically. If I'm at our current airline, if we want to move someone to another airline, we just electronically transfer that ticket to that airline. So it's much easier. But again, if you're one of these non-IATA carriers, it's not. You can't just transfer from American to Allegiant or from Frontier to Southwest. Now, if all this, this all might sound like legalese and airline jargon, but there's help for you. If you are on a flight on one of these airlines and you have a cancellation, how do you know what the airline is responsible for? So the airlines have something called a contract of carriage. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, it's it, it's very much legalese. When you book a flight, there's a tiny little button that you or a, a link that you can click at the bottom that brings up the contract of carriage, and it looks like a it, it's a contract. It looks like you're buying a house. It's 18, 20, 25 pages long, very small font, lots of big legal words in there. Mm -hmm. Really hard to decipher, but that's where when a customer is at, at the desk and the flight cancels and they're demanding a hotel, the airline can say, no, we don't have to give you one because your flight canceled for a reason X, Y, or Z. In the contract of carriage, we are not responsible for whatever that cancellation was. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you were a kid, you were I, there's a picture of you um, looking through a KLM timetable. 
because I know you're really yes. into the schedules, right? I was into that too, but not only that, when I was a kid, we had paper tickets and you get this cool looking paper ticket from Korean Air or Sri Lankan Airlines or British Airways and they look really cool. Like they have their marketing on top, you know, a slick cover and then you'd have the coupons for your flight segments. And then at the end was the contract of carriage. And I love this stuff. So I have read a contract of carriage or two in my time. I've gone through the whole thing, every everything. And when I was an agent at America West and someone said, no, you got to get me to Phoenix because the flight canceled. But if the flight canceled due to weather, we're actually not responsible for that because it's not something. And he's like, well, you show me in writing. And I was like, stand by one moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, take their tickets. Like, let me show you. So then I would show them in the contract of carriage exactly where it says that. Um, I'd still be nice. It's like, but what I can do is, you know, so and positively, but you know, you hate to lay down the law with a customer, and they're like, well, I didn't accept that when I bought this ticket. I didn't say that, you know, you you could do that, but you actually did. So when you buy an airline ticket, you accept the rules of that carrier you accept their contract of carriage. And what's interesting is there, I, I used to think that they were all the same, Doug, but they're not. So this dashboard, and we're going to have a link to this dashboard on this uh, on the show notes so that you can check it out. It really doesn't do anything. I, it's federal government, Doug, so this probably costs like $2 million to make it. <laughs> there was some interns reading through the contracts and carriage and putting yeah. together this green and red X like a, a green check mark and a red X. Does this airline do this when this happens? Yes or no? Yes is a green check mark. Red is a or no is a red X. Some intern spent a lot of time reading through and creating this chart. Yeah, and what uh, I have the chart in front of us to look at. And uh, what's what what stands out to you? Because you might be saying is, <laughs> Allegiant is all red X's. For instance. I mean, oh, commitments for controllable cancellations is this segment that we're looking at. The first one is rebook passengers on same airline at no additional cost. Allegiant? (laughs) (laughs) So they might rebook you, but you're going to have to pay extra. Yeah, I mean, everything is a no. Rebook passenger on another airline? No. Meal or cash voucher? Eh. Complimentary hotel accommodations? Eh. Complimentary ground transportation. Eh, it's like you're on uh, Family Feud or something. You keep getting the answer wrong. <laughs> but there's no right answer at all. <laughs> and just to give you, I mean, let's let's talk about the ones that are going to take care of you. So, you know, someone said you get what you you paid for. And this is something that you have to think about. Some of these low fare airlines, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's probably good. If I needed to get to Orlando and I have a choice of paying $39 or $500, Allegiant, or Spirit or Frontier, I'm probably going to do that. So I'm not. We're not knocking anything, but we're just saying be aware of if something goes wrong, and if you're on a business trip or a really important trip, what is going to be covered? So, for example, everything that we just mentioned, all the bullets: American, Delta, Hawaiian, JetBlue, United. All those carriers cover every single one of those things: meals, hotels, transportation, hotel cost. Um, Think of it it almost like if if you're paying a little bit more for a ticket on a mainline or a legacy carrier, you're you're almost paying for insurance at that point, where if the airline is unable to get you on that day or on that particular flight, you've paid a little bit extra that the airline then is willing to spend some money to put you up in a hotel if necessary. 
to put you on another airline and, and pay for it if necessary. And your your ticket ultimately then guarantees that at some point you will make it to your destination without additional cost to you, which you might pay a little bit more on the top at the beginning of the trip. Unlike if you're on Allegiant where you're paying $39, that guarantees you that if that flight goes, you'll be on, on that flight. But if that flight doesn't go, they per their contract of carriage do not have an obligation to get you there. Now, I, I know that this is a first step into what the DOT is trying to get at. They're, they're trying to get at transparency. They're also trying to end this whole airlines don't take care of you thing. They are trying to push it through that if your flight cancels, the airlines have to pay for a hotel for you. If Which your flight means cancels, they the have to pay for it. There, it, maybe that's maybe that's what consumers want. I, I don't know. All I'm saying is if that gets forced on the airlines, ticket prices are going to have to go up because airlines are going to have to cover that additional cost of being forced to do it because there are still certain circumstances like weather where if your flight cancels because of weather, most contracts of carriages, even on American, Delta, United, the airline is not required to put you in a hotel because that's considered an act of God. If it is crew related, if it's mechanical related, if it's anything operational related, then they are required to put you into a hotel. So d d again, don't take our, our word here, just because yeah. your flight cancels doesn't mean that if you're on any of these legacy airlines, you are still guaranteed of, of getting a hotel because there are certain circumstances where they won't. Yeah, exactly. Now that's not to say that the airline won't go above and beyond. Like your flight is canceled due to weather and you are a top tier flyer with that carrier. And you, you know more than I do, Doug, they probably cover your hotel and your expenses but they don't have to because that's not of their own doing. But some of these carriers, even if it is a mechanical delay, a mechanical cancellation, they won't cover. I just want to give you an example. So Allegiant, so I'm, I'm going to be meeting up with uh, one of our listeners, Ryan. Shout out to Ryan. Flying from Fargo to LAX. Allegiant has a nonstop flight. If that flight cancels, they don't even fly, have a flight every day. So you could yeah, be there. Two days later, three days later. <laughs> but if you were on, say, United, for example... That flight cancels, they have another two flights to Denver or and Chicago, so they can get you there that way. Or, worst case scenario, they can transfer your ticket to another airline. So there's much more flexibility um, in that case. And then looking at this, Doug, there's some, a spirit, you know, we talk about spirit a lot. Spirit covers most of these expenses. The only thing they don't cover is they don't um, rebook you on another airline, which I can understand because they're not in IATA, which is that organization of uh, airlines that have ticketing agreements and they won't pay for your ground transportation for, to the hotel, but Spirit will cover everything else. Southwest will cover um, everything except rebooking you on another airline. And that was my example. Southwest doesn't have ticketing agreements with other airlines. So Alaska, interestingly, does not cover, will not rebook you on another airline. I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought they would be like JetBlue or... Yeah, um, well... And especially now that they're in one world, I, I'm surprised because you would think that they would at least put you on American or another one world carrier if if that's a, the flight that you were going on. Yeah, I kind of hope that um, the DOT does make it standard where all airlines are responsible for certain things. And a good example of that is the European Union, Doug. So in the European Union, all passengers, even those flying on U.S. carriers, they're subject to the air passenger rights. And this has the requirements for all airlines flying into Europe. 
So we may have something similar to that, perhaps. But um, yeah, again, check it out. Um, send us your comments. But um, it is pretty good because it, it clearly, if you're on a flight, you can go to that. You don't have to be like me and go through 20 pages of contract carriage for fun of it <laughs> to find the information. It just tells you. Um, or, or you can just look at our spreadsheet. <laughs> Print our spreadsheet that we'll have on the website and have it handy. Be nice to the agents. Don't throw the book at them. <laughs> just tell them, hey, I'm showing that you offer this. All right. Doug, since your last trips have been to Europe, not counting your current domestic trip, let's start our news topic in that region. What do you have? Yeah, Drew, Lufthansa pilots went on a 24-hour strike this week over stalled contract talks and feeling fed up with being overworked and understaffed. But Lufthansa announced the following day its intentions to hire 20,000 new employees by next year. Nearly 5,000 pilots staged a 24-hour walkout after they claimed management wasn't listening to their complaints about being underpaid and overworked. The walkout led to 800 flight cancellations and uh, 130,000 affected customers. This isn't the first airline to strike in Europe this summer as work groups have become increasingly frustrated with working conditions and compensation as travel ramps back up to and above pre-COVID levels. The uh, Sorry, I had to shift my pages here. Uh, Lufthansa CEO Karsten Spohr said that the company plans to hire 20,000 new employees by the end of 2023. Before COVID, Lufthansa had 140,000 employees. It shrank mm -hmm. by 40,000 during the pandemic down to 100,000, which has been one of the major contributors to shaky operations as travel demand has returned to pre-pandemic levels. Drew, this is, this is the second or third strike that Lufthansa has had of a work group. This is not the first European airline to strike. Um, uh, Alaska pilots voted a couple of months mm -hmm. ago to possibly strike. They were able to, to get a deal with the airline. That yeah. I, uh, unfortunately for the passengers, I think that this is something that is going to continue to happen over the next couple of years because as you know better than I do, because you, you were at the airline through the thick of COVID, I got in right towards the end. Just, uh, employees have just been worked hard over the last couple of years and they're continuing to be worked hard and people are unhappy. Employees are unhappy with what, what's happened. And now that in, the industry has rebounded to almost 2019 levels worldwide, but the staffing isn't quite there yet. Everyone is just working super hard and everyone's tired of it and, and they want compensation for the amount of work. Yeah, I mean, look at that, Doug. So they, and I, I'm I'm assuming this 140,000 employee number, which they had pre-COVID, that includes their <clears throat> their holdings as well, like uh, Brussels, yeah. Swiss and all that. Mm -hmm. But um, 40,000 employees, so that's a, more than 40%, losing about 40%. And here we are with loads similar to 2019 and working with 40%, 40 to 50% less. That's incredible. So and so he's saying they're hiring 20,000 back. That won't even get us to 2019 levels and traffic is supposed to increase. I, I think Karsten Spohr and a lot of airline CEOs are taking a gamble to be very modest with the increases because we don't know if we're going to go into a full-on world recession. So I think that's why they're being a little hesitant to bring everyone back. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but I, I do know that employees around the world are fed up and frustrated with what, what the working conditions have been. And this is one of those instances where the pilots had said, you know what, enough, we've had it, a one-day strike. And unlike in the U.S. where you have to give a 30-day notification to the airline mm -hmm. that you're striking, I, I, we, we've made a joke about the French air traffic controllers. Mm -hmm. 
it, it's like okay it's june 1st so they're gonna go on strike is, that's, that's what they right. do it's just accepted and they just work through it they, uh, at least you know they have trains that they can use we don't <laughs> we're gonna have a lot all right let's move to another part of the world let's move to asia now we mentioned a couple episodes ago, ago how several chinese airlines moved into the top 20 largest in the world in 2021 that might not be the case next year with the way things are going right now um, in big cities uh, in uh, in China. So China, China's top airlines announced massive fina- financial losses in the second quarter and continued COVID lockdowns and cancellations. Air China, China Eastern, China Southern just announced a combined 28.4 billion yuan, that's $4.12 billion, second quarter loss, larger than the first quarter loss. Shanghai's months-long lockdown of 25 million residents in the second quarter drove much of the losses. Can you imagine that? 25 million people that are not traveling or, you know, um, not that all of them are traveling, but I'm sure a large portion of them were. The three largest carriers have lost more than 50 billion yuan in the first half compared to 16.7 billion yuan loss in the first half of 2021. International travel to China. Now, I don't international to China remains below 1% of the same period in 2019. So one percent of twenty nineteen—that yeah, means they have hardly any international travel. Hardly any international flights coming in. Most of the flights that you see back and forth to China right now from all parts of the world are cargo, or they may have a few passengers on. But mm-hmm. China has continued to do these zero COVID policies and very very strict lockdowns. And until that policy changes, these Chinese airlines are, are going to be at the tail end of that whip and like last year was a good year for them and then the delta and omicron variant swept over the world and all of a sudden now china is back to what it was like in march april and may of 2020 and the airlines are the ones who are really hurting for this not not just the chinese airlines but a lot of global airlines Mm -hmm. that once had a very large presence in china this could ultimately ultimately impact boeing and airbus too because china is one of one of if not the largest market for airplanes in the world and right. that that's that's a, a big hit to airbus and boeing though i do know that china did place an order for like 260 or 264 airbus narrow bodies last week or two weeks ago for okay. the, the big three airlines so that's a good sign i guess that they're looking ahead expecting that it, at least hopefully in a couple of years things will be back and, and they're going to need those airplanes but until china moves past this it's going to be a lot of stories like this i'm afraid yeah, I agree. All right, moving on to the next story. We're going to stay in Asia for this one. Cathay Pacific expanded its pilot hiring goal that we talked about a few months ago and now aims to train 400 cadet pilots by the end of 2023. The embattled airline signed a three-year training deal this week with the University of Hong Kong. Graduates will join the ranks of Cathay pilots, accounting for more than half of the 700 pilots the airline intends to hire by next year. Cathay said it plans to hire 4,000 new employees to meet, quote, meet rising global demand for travel. That's a good sign, especially Mm -hmm. coming out of Hong Kong. However, the airline's capacity in July was just 12.4% of 2019, and continued restrictions in Hong Kong have seen businesses and airlines move away from the financial hub in favor of other cities in the region, like Singapore that we talked about, like how Manila is trying trying to grow now as well. Yeah, I, I, this is, you know, we're starting to see Asia come out of it. And this is really good news from uh, from Hong Kong, because we were talking about where do they go from here? And, you know, they're based, they're part of China. And if China is in lockdown, how much better is Hong Kong going to be? But it looks like there's some green shoots in Hong Kong. 
Singapore is doing great. They have more flights to North America than they had pre-COVID. Maybe because a lot of these other Asian airlines aren't back to 100% yet, and they're taking advantage of that. So that's good. I, I honestly, I think if, if the West is going into a recession, I think if Asia bounces back sooner than later, I think that would really help uh, stop a recession. Because can you imagine, I mean, just looking at our airline alone that flies to Asia a lot, if China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, all of those start lifting their restrictions and people start flying again, you're going to get a lot more flights to Taipei and you won't have to be in a jail cell. You could probably <laughs> go get out and walk around. <laughs> I, I would be seeking those flights out as opposed to be trying to avoid them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. In a major juxtaposition to what's happening in Asia, the U.S. just had its highest travel weekend since, since 2019. It's like, all right, come on, come on, Asia. I mean, what were we Ooh. saying? We were saying that to Biden to lift the restrictions coming in the U.S. We got that. So now we got to keep uh, keep slapping Asia. Come on, let's get back. Let's get back to business, right? All right, nearly 9 million travelers took to the skies in the U.S. over a four-day Labor Day holiday weekend in the U.S., surpassing 2019 levels. Air travel demand historically declines after the holiday before ramping back up in mid-November. Airline CEOs, however, say that booking trends have continued to resemble the strong summer season. It does not appear that summer has come to an end. It's that strong, said Patrick Quayle, senior vice president of United Airlines. Um, he's also the person that's in charge of all the schedules at United. American CEO Robert Isom relayed the same sentiment. Fall bookings continue to trend higher than 2019 levels. What do you think? I think that's great. I think that's it. We, on this show, talked about how we expected the recovery to be by about now, and it's it's here. It's it, I, I would say it's fully recovered or almost fully recovered, especially from a domestic market. I think we talked a couple months ago about how U.S. domestic travel was actually above 2019 levels. All we need now is, is really Asia to come back. Europe is booming. Most of my flights to and from have been almost completely full, minus, minus the Heathrow flights because we talked about those caps on, on passengers that they couldn't oh, yeah. sell any more tickets. One right. of my flights, I, I don't remember which one, one of the flights home had barely over 100 people on it just because of those restrictions at Heathrow. That has nothing to do with the demand. That flight would be yeah. full if not for the fact that Heathrow put those restrictions on. But I, I digress. <laughs> I think this is, this is great. This shows that even though we are still in this pandemic, for all intents and purposes, you could argue maybe it's an endemic now, a lot of people say we're not quite there yet. People have said, you know what? I, I know my risk. I, I'm willing to take these risks and enough people are getting out and traveling. Now we, we have also talked about how business travel hasn't fully rebounded. And I think in one of these articles I read that uh, Robert Isom said, Americans business travel is at like 75% of 2019. That's, that's not excellent, but that still is good. But that is the high revenue portion of of their passenger load and and how they get a lot of the money leisure travel isn't going to pay the bills quite the way that business travel is but the yeah. fact that we're we're breaking 2019 levels on holiday weekends and certain days just throughout the the month <clears throat> that's a great a great sign for the continued recovery and things to come the other thing that's good doug is the fares are becoming more moderate now they're not low there's no there's no huge fare sales, but tickets are becoming more affordable. It's not $1,000 to get to the West Coast anymore. And yeah. I am going to the West Coast later Well, when this show airs. So, yeah, 
when the show airs, I'll be going to the West Coast and I'm booking positive space tickets. And there's a triple seven that I'm on that I cannot find an aisle or a window seat on if you can believe that full. Yeah. So what I'm doing is every six hours, I'm checking that seat, okay. yep. <laughs> which is a good problem to have. That means we're still making a lot of money if we're flying a triple seven after Labor, Labor Day and it's almost full. The other thing I'm noticing is I'm not seeing a lot of premium seats. So I would be able to travel through Newark or Chicago and see a bunch of premium seats. There's really not. So that tells me, and I hope, I hope that business travel is coming back. If the premium seats are full and there's the only availability is in the economy, that's a really good sign. Yeah. Well, and, and Drew, you mentioned how the ticket price is going down. So yeah, people are interested in spending the money, but the inflation on other things, you would think that air travel would be one of one of the first things that people would start to slow down on if they're paying more for groceries, more at the gas pump. But even with this inflationary period, we're not really seeing a lot of slowdown in airline bookings, which is mm -hmm. a, a great sign because that was one thing that I know in the second quarter earnings calls, most CEOs and CFOs were asked about was, how are you feeling about inflation and, and forward booking trends? They said, well, so far we haven't really seen a dent and that it sounds like that's continuing, which, which is a good sign that even as people pay more for other things, they're still spending their money on airline tickets. Well, yeah. Thank you. thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much. We need we need you. But the other thing, you know, you might be seeing this in your life. Like, I keep hearing about friends and relatives traveling as we speak. So people are out and about, like, um, like it's pre-COVID. Maybe even better in some cases. Like, my mom travels a lot, and she's just she's looking to go to Sri Lanka. Hopefully, at the end of this month, because things are seem to be calming down. Fingers crossed. So she wants to go. All right, Doug. Our ops topic this week relates to something you messaged me about the other day. You mentioned that landing in London was more difficult than other places because of something called a CDA. What in the world is that? And why is London any different than the rest of the world? Yeah. And this is why I told you to, to hang on to that question about the holding when yeah. I went into London. A CDA is short for continuous decent approach. What that means is in London, they don't want you to level off on approach. They want you to continuously be de descending. If you think about it, when you level off, let's say you're, you're cleared to 3,000 feet. When you level off at 3,000, what do the engines do? They come up. Yeah. And when the engines come up, that creates noise. London is this very dense, very tightly packed city of, I think it's what, 27 million people in, in the whole metro area. And there are time restrictions going into Heathrow. You can't land until before 6 a.m. unless it is specially approved by the government, by the airport, mm -hmm. or it's an emergency. The, most of the arrivals started at 6 a.m. no earlier than that because they're trying to keep it quiet in the evening. And even during the day, they don't want airplanes leveling off down low because that creates noise and it's noise pollution. The CDA... Once you're inside of 6,000 feet above the ground, you, you cannot level off. You, you, you have to be in a constant descent. Hmm. Going into Heathrow, what they do is they, they tell you, once they start vectoring you to the runway, they tell you mile, or, uh, yeah, miles to run, which means we're putting you on a vector, but we're telling you how many miles this vector will be until you actually touch down. For instance, we were in holding. They gave us an exit from the hold. They said, turn right to whatever the heading was, 23 miles to run. We're at 6,000 feet at this point. So I, in my mind, I have to calculate, OK, 
okay, I have 6,000 feet to lose. I'm fully clean right now. I'm not configured at all. Flaps are not out, slots are not out, gear is not down. I have 23 miles to fly, I have 6,000 feet to lose. Now I'm going through the math in my mind thinking, okay, I can't level off, so I have to use my vertical speed instead of level change. I need to figure out, okay, I'm gonna have to slow down because I was at 220 knots. I'm, I'm gonna have to slow down and configure and descend. So there's a lot of mental math going on about trying to get fully configured fully descending but also not leveling off at any point so it's just it's a lot so is that also better for fuel economy because you're not revving the engines um you're just on a continuous smooth descent yeah i i'm, I'm sure i'm sure it it probably is yes but a lot of the approaches in in, in the world i think we've talked about this in the past we have a star which is a standard arrival where everyone funnels into this star and the star has these fixes that you, that you fly over that have altitudes and speeds assigned. For instance, when you're going into San Francisco, when I start my descent at about 29,000 feet, I'm on, on, on the star. The star ties into the approach, which then leads you into the runway. Once I start my descent from altitude going to San Francisco, the way they have this star and approach built, I do not level off at all. Like they, they have it built in such a way that I can go the entire way to the runway without leveling off. So that's why I'm not sure why I, I'm not sure why London hasn't built their approaches in, in such a way that you that you you have to do the mental math on it. So it's it's just a lot more work. And this is after flying overnight from the West Coast through the night. You're tired. That's like the last time that, that you really want to be having to do this math and thinking about this constant descent approach, not leveling off and, and keeping it down to the runway. Is there any way to have the autopilot do all that for you, or you have to do manual? Well, the, auto the autopilot's on, but you really have to do the manual calculations because autopilot isn't smart enough to know when to configure the airplane. Mm. To, it, it's not smart enough to know when to slow down to be able to make the runway because you the auto the the smartest part of the autopilot is called the V nav, the vertical navigation, and on like that that approach that I was talking about going to San Francisco where we don't level off at all from altitude. That's because the approach is built with VNAV and it knows what altitudes and what speeds to be at to keep this constant descent all the way down to the runway. London yeah. doesn't have London doesn't have those. It doesn't have those built. Once you get inside six thousand feet, it's basically all on you to try and calculate that. And because of because there there isn't anything like that built, we can't mm -hmm. fly in VNAV going into London. We have to fly in vertical speed which means that we set an altitude that we're going to descend to and we have to use this wheel, which then says how many feet per minute we're going to descend. So you're trying to figure out, okay, I have 23 miles to go. How many minutes is that? So what should I set my VV, my VSI, VVI, vertical velocity at? To, to, but then I also have to slow down. And when you slow down, you descend slower but then you configure and you descend faster. But if you descend too fast, you're going to level off at the altitude, which is a, a no-no. So it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot that, that you have to think about. So I'm, I'm assuming this goes to the lowest seniority pilot on the plane, which is probably you to calculate. <laughs> no, not, not necessarily. When, when I flew a couple a week ago, the captain was the one who flew the leg over, not, not the FO. The, this time the captain said, Hey, 
you fly this leg. I'll, I'll let you fly this leg. So it's it's not a it's not a seniority thing. It's just also oh, the person who's flying it calculates it. The the yeah the person who's flying it is is doing all the calculations. Wow. I, wow. I mean, we're we're like working together as a team. Maybe maybe the other pilot is calculating something differently in their head and will speak up and say, you know what, Let, maybe let's increase our speed or, mm-hmm. or do that. It's not like a, a one person is fully responsible for it. But yeah. to, to the very long-winded answer, I apologize about that, but <laughs> no, to, to, go back to, your, to go back to your holding question, I was really surprised the first time that I went in because we landed at 6.45 in the morning, which is, as you said, very busy. It's when a lot of the East Coast flights are getting into London. And we didn't have to enter holding. We just went straight in. This time we held for probably 12, 13 minutes, I want to say. It was mm-hmm. cool because we were, we were in the stack and there was an American 777 below us. There was an Aer Lingus A320 below us. And we all kept getting these descents in, in the hold, like steps. And then the, the lowest person would get shoveled off. We, we would hear them get a heading. They're leaving holding. So in our mind, we're like, okay, well, we're number three now, and then mm-hmm. we're number two, and then we're number one. And that way you, you have an idea of fuel conservation and, and things like that. But it was really cool because there was a point where we were the we were at the top of the stack, and we were all turning together, and all the other airplanes that were lower than us were out in front of us, and we could see everyone in this hold. It was it was really cool. Yeah, it's, it seems so organized. Um, so uh, added bonus is the people that on – in the airplane that want that extra 15 minutes of sleep, now it's better because they're not going to they're not going to hear the engines revving up. True, but by that by that point, the flight attendants have probably already done their final preparations. Everyone's seats mm-hmm. are they have to be up. So yeah, I mean maybe they can fall back and sleep again. But it's not like the lights are are off in the back and everyone is still in their live flat seat. Basically, the the cabin preparation has been done at this point. Ah, uh, okay. Well, anyway, thanks for keeping the skies above London Heathrow quiet. We want to keep that yeah. because we want more flights to there. All right, Doug, we asked the listeners on the last episode to message us about other flight ones because we did a whole thing on flight ones around the world and how those are the most prominent flights of those specific airlines. So um, <clears throat> we we knew that there were ones that we probably missed. Tyler told me there's an American flight one, which I completely missed. And I was just checking on Flight Radar 24. I didn't see it off the top of the bat, but American Flight 1 goes from Kennedy to Los Angeles, and that has a long history. So shout out to American Flight 1. But we also want to talk about um, Air New Zealand Flight 1, which we did mention. So one of our listeners in New Zealand sent us this message. It's uh, Chris. He's on Twitter. He's at NZ underscore C-E-E-J-A-Y. He said... Hey, Doug and Drew, just listening to Efro, <laughs> and he has a <clears throat> laughing emoji. I'm glad no one was offended by that because I was concerned. <laughs> no, they said, he said, just listening to Efro, another great show. Um, thanks. Thinking about NZ001, took a trip in the 80s on a 747 400. I think he means the 90s because the 400 flew in 92. Could have been a 200. No, the 400 was 88. The 400 flew in in 1988, it yeah, was in I, service in 1988. I'm gonna yeah, double check for North, for North Northwest Minneapolis to Phoenix. In I, 19, I don't know when 88. I, I don't know when Air New Zealand got it, but it, it was introduced in the late 80s. Okay, okay, that's earlier than I thought. I'm gonna have to check that, but I'm gonna take your word. All right, took a trip in the so maybe um, 
747-400 a long way with a two-hour stop in a horrible transit lounge at LAX. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it was like back then. I was not a lounge lizard. But he said, definitely not the Star Alliance, Star Alliance Lounge now at LAX. Um, he was always emotional seeing the Koru, K-O-R-U, which is the emblem on the tail uh, on the plane on the other side of the world, a little sign of home. Air New Zealand One is now um, Air New Zealand's flagship JFK to Auckland with the inaugural flight on uh, September 17th. That's coming up. So we can... Uh, Talk about that. That's kind of under the radar. We were all talking about Project Sunrise with Qantas. Meanwhile, Air New Zealand is starting next week. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, they, they just kind of, yeah, they slide in. It's not quite as long as Sydney to London, but yeah, Air New Zealand just slides in with Auckland to New York. Yeah, I want to mention something he said. You know, seeing a little piece of home in some place so foreign. When I see our airline, when I'm on a long trip and I'm heading back to the airport. And I see the tail of our airplane sticking out. I feel like, you know, I feel just like this, you know, it's like, oh, a piece of home. I'm glad to be going home. And that's my first sign. Um, when I see Sri Lankan airlines and crazy parts of like Japan or Malaysia or London, that, you know, it's like, oh, that's so cool. You know, that's a part of my homeland in the middle of, you know, someplace where I don't know anyone. So that is kind of cool. Yeah. We got another feedback. This is from Craig. He said, at Next Trip Podcast, literally just finished this week's episode and looked out the window and caught QF1. Craig lives in London. He sent us a picture of the Flight Radar 24 screen grab and a photo, at, I'm guessing from his house or his yard, of the Qantas A380. And Craig, I actually, I saw, I, I don't know which day, uh, let's see, that was on 5 September. No, I, I wasn't I wasn't flying over there yet, but I did see the Qantas A380 at the gate taxiing I can't remember if it was on departure or arrival in Heathrow, but I, I did see the Qantas A380 at the gate, which is Qantas Flight One. Did you know when you saw it, you were like, "Oh, Flight One"? Yeah, because I, I knew I knew that uh, that the A380, the Qantas A380 in London, is their flagship route. Okay, no, that is pretty cool. So thanks for letting us know. And once again, if you are on a Flight One someplace in the world, send us a picture. And we will talk about um, a flight one that we perhaps missed or one that we talked about. Tell us what it's like flying it. Before we go on, um, you are in L.A. You want to tell the listeners what your uh, crazy sleep deprived uh, routing is this <laughs> week? Yeah, th- this is this is a trip that I did not want. I, 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 as you said, <laughs> we turned a bad situation into good. You had AM shifts. You said, well, that means I, I get to be home for dinner every night, which you normally aren't. I, I When I saw that I might get this trip, I told you I, I'm probably going to get this trip. I don't want it. But if I do, at least it means that I can go and spot for a few hours. But I'm doing the red eye to Newark tonight. And then I have to day sleep and then fly back to San Francisco tomorrow evening, getting in around midnight. Mm-hmm. So between now and tomorrow night, I have to do two day sleeps. And then I get back, I land close to midnight. I'm going to have to drive home. I'll, I'll get home at two o'clock in the morning or something like that on Saturday morning. You're landing at these airports and these airspaces that are the most complicated in the world. So it was London Heathrow last week, tomorrow it's New York, which is probably worse. Right. And then, you know, with lack of sleep, but you guys are used to it. You know, that's what you get paid the big bucks for. So you can do it. And so what did they say? Isn't it like, um, 
five hours of boredom and then 15 minutes of extreme sheer terror. Yeah. 10 hours of boredom followed by 15 minutes of sheer terror. You know, I, I'm honestly, I'm not really buying that as much now that I'm flying a Cessna Skyhawk, which has um, a, uh, what do you call it? What do you guys call it? It's the ADF or the, the uh, flight director. Mm-hmm. Which, if you can see anything and you're half awake, just move it to that magenta square and just stay within that. If you have, <laughs> you can do that. That's that's called that's called fixating on one instrument. You'll you'll learn as you move as you move on through your flight training. That is the last thing that you want to do. Ah, uh, okay, good advice. I'll remember that. To our listeners, this podcast is your show, so go on our website, nextripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week with hopefully your computer and better sound quality. Hopefully. Although- I'm thinking this one is going to come out pretty well because you sound pretty clear. All right, we'll see you next week. In the meantime, stay aviation tough.